the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDeal. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 148. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... Uh, this is Ed. And after surviving six hours of soccer with two people stepping on one foot and a high-powered shot soccer ball to the gut, Jeez. it is me, Stella. <laughs> so many things happened. We did make it to the final round, though. And you did make it to this podcast, so... We are covering the last two weeks' worth of news and comic book reviews. Uh, November 2nd through November 15th is specifically what we're covering. Uh, we have four books to cover, uh, just a small little news bit, and uh, we'll talk about TBU Spotlight when we get to that point in the podcast. So, let's talk comic news. So, over the past two weeks, there hasn't been any specific Batman news, uh, more specifically related to the DC Universe DC announced that their story event that will happen in uh, April and May of next year is called Convergence. Um, basically, there is going to be a ton of miniseries that are coming out in relation to this specific event. Um, I believe it's like 40-something miniseries with two issues apiece, one issue in April, one issue in, in May. The first group has been revealed, I'm assuming, and while you're listening to this, the second group would is, is going to be revealed too, because I feel like it's going to be once a week they're going to reveal the next group or something. But they revealed the first group and specifically talking about some of the Batman characters. Now, first off, I have to preface this with, if you have no idea what Convergence is, if you haven't heard anything about it, basically the idea is there's a new villain, um, and this villain is somehow incorporating all of the different universes and alternate universes into this one giant storyline. And we see our characters from the pre-New 52 DC universe reemerge front and center in this story and amongst other characters from pre-New 52 as well. Uh, so the first week of miniseries is that are going to be releasing in relation to Batman, we're going to have a Batgirl one. It's uh, One Year Under the Dome. Stephanie Brown questions her future as Batgirl. When Catman from Flashpoint Universe attacks, Black Bat and Red Robin call her back into action. Um, it is written by Alicia Kit Whitney and illustrated by Rick Leonardi. Um, then we have a Nightwing Oracle series. Dick and Babs talk about the relationship under the dome. Written by Gail Simone, illustrated by Jan Dersima. And then, uh, I guess if you want to, we can include, teen, uh, there's going to be a Titans series. Starfire and Donna Troy tried to help Arsenal after the events of Cry for Justice. Written by Fabian Nesiza, illustrated by Ron Wagner. Then we have, in the question, we have Two-Face comes face-to-face with an alternate world's Harvey Dent and needs the help of Renee Montoya. Written by Greg Rucka, illustrated by Kelly Hamner. Uh, Batman and Robin, uh, we have Bruce and Damien have tension with the Red Hood. 
written by Ron Mars, illustrated by Dennis Cohen, and then Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn is drafted by Catwoman and Poison Ivy to battle Captain Carrot, written by Steve Pugh and art by Phil Winslade. So those are the main, uh, main characters. And now, now before I, I dive into, we dive into some of these series, Don, uh, previous co-host, you may have remembered him, if you are a long-time listener, wrote a really detailed article about a lot of the stuff that uh, was mentioned is, that's going to be happening in these mini-series, including some back history amongst a number of the different characters and how some of the stuff that is just mentioned in the short solicitations relates to pre-New 52 world. So if you're a newer comic reader when it comes to DC Comics and you have not read a lot of the stuff that happened before the New 52, I have a hard time believing you're not going to be somewhat lost by Convergence, but uh, Don did a really good job of explaining how some of the stuff will tie in and how some of it ties in to pre-New 52 to give you a little of a back history. So I know, uh, there, you know, the, some of the ones that I, I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit more than others would be the Nightwing Oracle one and the Batgirl one. So let's talk uh, real quick Harley Quinn and Batman and Robin in question. Harley Quinn it's, uh, comes back or is going to be teamed up with Catwoman and Poison Ivy, so it looks like Gotham City Sirens is uh, back together. That was something including, I mean, there was a team and it was also its own comic series pre-New 52. It did end before the New 52 ended, but uh, it was a series. Batman and Robin, Bruce and Damien um, are obviously together, but the last time we actually saw Batman and Robin, um, Bruce had just come back into the, you know, into present time and they're dealing with Red Hood, who at the time was a villain who Dick and Damien were dealing with when they were teaming up as Batman and Robin. Uh, in question, um, seeing Two-Face and Renee Montoya working together, to me, reminds me specifically of the one year later storyline. Um, and they, they've, they worked together during that, so... Any thoughts on those three before we get into Batgirl and Nightwing Oracle? <laughs> I mean, the Harley Quinn one is supposed to be her with, against, you know, it looks like they, like you said, the sirens, uh, up against Captain Carrot. So I think that will probably be very much in tone with the Harley Quinn book right now, you know? Um, probably just kind of a goofy one. Um, and the Two-Face one, that's probably the one I'm out of that group that I'm looking forward to, uh, most. That's something that's interesting. Just there are some books that, that they're pulling back original creative teams or at least, you know, on one side or the other writer or artist. And then there are others that have no connection whatsoever. And I think Harley Quinn could have been, I mean, it would have been awesome to bring back either, you know, Gotham City Siren writer or artist or just pull, uh, Jimmy Palmiotti and, and Amanda Connor back for this. So that's interesting. But I, I love seeing Catwoman, Poison Ivy and Harley together again. So I, I hope that it'll be a fun, a fun book that really gets back to the heart of, of what that team was like. And I really love the question. And, um, I, I think, I think I fell in love with that character when I was reading 52. Of course, it wasn't Renee at that first point, but now, you know, it is Renee. And I think it's interesting because Harvey and Renee have a, uh, have a pretty serious past. Um, and, uh, so it'll be interesting to see what it's like, just like flashing back to, to pre-new 52. 
what the take is going to be. Oh, it's by Greg Rucka. So that, that'll be good. See, so there's, uh, someone that's dealt with it before. Yeah. There's, if, like you said, still, there's a lot of creators where it seems like either the writer or the most, in most cases, it's the writer. The writer is, is someone who had worked with the characters in the past. In in some ways, it's interesting because this is actually the first piece of work Greg Rucka has done with DC since he left Batwoman three years ago. Um, so that's interesting. Or I, it was even longer than that. I think it was four years ago. Um, but the, what's to me the thing that when this first was announced, I was talking with Don offline about a bunch of uh, the announcements and things like that, and he asked me my specific thoughts about the Convergence storyline and how I felt about it. And I said, in some ways it feels like DC is pandering to the readers who have been questioning, where is this character? Where's that character? Where's this character? Where's that character? And in, in other ways, it feels like this is almost a necessity because they're making it a necessity because you are left with the idea that, well, now they're telling you that these characters are still existing. They're just in an alternate universe. So, you know, Flashpoint happened, and I guess in some ways, yes, there it did create an alternate universe, and that is what the New 52 is, and that's why things are some in some cases different. But did we really did did they ever even mention at any point that hey, by the way, all those characters that you still like and were, are asking about, they're still existing off in their own alternate universe. We're just not talking about it. So I, I feel like. This is something where it's like it's outside the box. It is something where if they have writers who writers and artists who aren't working on ongoing stuff do this for two months, it's not that big of a deal because, well, the whole reason this is all happening is because DC is moving from New York to Burbank in mm-hmm. April and May, and that's the reason behind this. But that being said, I think it's slightly odd that this is what they chose to do because this does seem like it's a very big thing. You know, even if they're just making it into this smaller two-month event, it seems like it is such a large such a large scope because of what they're dealing with. Yeah, I think this might be a continuation too of of in a way of the multiversity event with Morrison, you know? Yeah. Um I mean this has been something that DC's always kind of done. Remember even when we had the Elseworld stuff, so I don't know if you guys seen the the multiversity map that they did where yes. all the different earths are kind of, I mean, like, so even stuff like Gotham by Gaslight has been assigned its own quote unquote earth that it happened on. Um, so I'm just wondering if this isn't just part of how DC is going to do its universes moving forward, which is everything that's not canon gets shoved into a, a universe, which is actually a nice way of, of making sure that all the stories do still exist. It's just, we're looking at it at a different universe, much like reading earth two is about a different universe. So yeah. I kind of, I mean, it's, it's to me, I think it's just a continuation of what they started when they, you know, turned about in Final Crisis, you know, and, and brought the multiverse back. So I'm actually okay with it and, uh, as, a, as a concept. I think they just need to decide whether, is this just a special that we're going to hit on it once and that's it? It's just something that happens very, very infrequently and it's just something, you know, like, like Haley's Comet or is it something that is going to be around? And I, you know, I just, 
it's emotionally hard for me to get back into New 52, uh, pre-New 52, because that's where I would love this universe to be. But because I've been really trying to be focused on, okay, that's in the past now, we're in this new universe, and really trying to focus on this universe and, and letting go of the past, it's hard for me to break away from this and then go back. And so pandering to readers, perhaps, but I also think it's going to be hard for some people just, you know, because you're, you're flashing back to the way it was. And, and perhaps for some books, it was like amazing and you really miss it. And some others, you know, you could have done without. So it's going to be hard for me for, for two months. So I don't really want it to go on at the same time. If that's kind of, maybe I'm misunderstanding what you're saying about having these two universes go on, but just to have a whole host of books, one pre-New 52, the other set New 52, that would be too much. I just wouldn't be able to take it as a, as a reader and a, a comic fan. Let me, let me float this idea past you. The, let's say, for example, uh, that this storyline was actually the setup for some more Dandadio nefarious plan. And oh gosh. The, and basically what the idea is, is that every five years we would have we would we would go from whatever universe we're at to switch to a different universe, and you basically follow a new world for X amount of time. Now, we we like Ed said we're we're seeing Earth Two and the stuff with Earth Two World's End and Earth Two the book. We see that stuff happening same time as the stuff that's happening. In, in the new 52, but that is technically a different universe. It's not the same as, or a different world. It's not the same as what's happening with the new 52. It's not all the events are happening on a different world. And what if that was basically this way to basically test the waters to see if this was actually able to happen? Because like you said, Stella, you can't do, you can't keep swapping back and forth mm-hmm. where you're not going to alienate some readers. And there are certain books like the bat books that didn't change that much. There was some, major changes across the line. But for the most part, there was very, like, specifically related to Batman, there was very little change to Batman's character other than telling a new origin story and giving some characters new new meaning and, and uh, roles in Batman's life and things like that. So what if they chose, maybe, maybe it wasn't five years, but let's say it was ten years. Let's extend the time a little bit. And they did ten years with this new group. And then they said, okay, we're gonna do it, we're gonna do a refresh. And basically, it's like rebooting the universe every ten years. But the idea behind it is that you're reading a whole new universe. You can tell whole new origin stories for all your characters. And, you know, you can try to, every ten years, get a bunch more new readers. I think this is where it's going, right? Like, and I don't even think it's a – listen, I, I understand the good and bad of it. I do. But I think this is is what we're eventually going to come to because how long can you really go without a, without a massive event or reboot? Like the new 52 was by far the most dramatic one. But it's not like we haven't had universe-changing events before like Crisis on Infinite Earths or yeah. Final Crisis. I mean this was by far the most dramatic. But let's face it. I mean about every 10 years or so there is a – Crisis on Infinite Earths, a final crisis, or something that completely stirs the pot up anyway. So I think this is what, just what we've always done. I just think they're being more, uh, more truthful about it now. Cause before, remember, it was always like, no, 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 nothing, you know, it's fine. All the characters you love will still be there. Now they're just being honest about it. I said, yeah, we're going to blow it up. Deal with it. And I, I think that that's okay. 
But I, I feel like what Dustin's saying is very different from having a crisis because it, it seems like with with what he's saying, you're starting from scratch each ten years. Is that what you mean to say, Dustin? Yeah, no, that's exactly what I'm saying. Because and, when and you that, look at the New Fifty Two, it's not the same right. as oh, just exactly. one of the crises. Yes, and and I agree with you, Ed. And I think in some ways, it's actually more like every five years you have some giant major event. Crisis on Infinite Earths was basically the first one, and from there, if you if you t- you know jump about five years, every five years or some giant major thing that's happening across the DC universe. You include Infinite Crisis, you can include Flashpoint, you can include all these different things that change everything. But New 52 was basically not, we're going to change up a couple little things. They basically wiped the slate and said, we're starting at square one for the most part. With a lot of characters, they they did start at square one. Yeah. The Bat books was some of the only books that they didn't start back at square one. Yeah, there was really, it was really just the Bat books and the Green Lantern books that were untouched. Yeah. For, not, not totally untouched. Like what you said, there was a lot of changes. But some of the universes had really dramatic changes to it. Yeah, I know it's different than the Crisis stuff, but I think it's just kind of like an evolution of it. You know, like, you have a toy and you're like, oh, we, we could really change it up and now we'll just reset it. Um, I do think what you'll see out of this is if, if this convergence is successful and it sells a lot of copies, uh, what I think you could see is like an Earth 2 book. Instead of having two Batgirl books or two Batman books or two detective books in these different universes, what I think you could see is like an Earth 2 book, or Earth 47, or whatever they decide to call the, the old DC universe. I think you could see a book that's set in the old continuity every month like you see in Earth 2. I think you could see something like that. Yeah, I, I, think I, there's... I, think, I think it could be, I mean, you could go as far as to say they might even do a, a weekly they could do a weekly based off oh, yeah, of the sure. events that are happening on mm-hmm. a different Earth because you could basically do anything you want with every character. So what writers wouldn't want to step in and say, sure, I'd love to work on something like that. Yeah, and yeah. I think yeah, – I, I, here's my thing about it too is I love like the idea of Elseworlds and even like Earth 1 stuff, right? And I think that that's probably the best way to do it is instead of rebooting the universe – if you want to do a new universe, do it like a pocket universe, if that makes any sense. Yeah, like, do, you know, like, like, do, do an Earth one. That's totally cool. I love seeing like a new take on the character. I like the Alfred in Earth one. I mean, I like the new different Elseworld type stuff, but just don't, you don't have to destroy the universe to tell these new universe stories, if that makes any sense. I think rebooting over and over again is just, um, detrimental. I think, um, you know, to a certain extent, Marvel does it just because they constantly are doing number ones. But, you know, the storylines are the same, but it's just so annoying. And you saw how, how terrible, how terribly, you know, fans reacted to the fact that they basically erased the past and came up with this new universe. So to think that that would happen all of the time would be, that would be a terrible idea. But you see, I think there's, here's th- but the thing with that is fans, current fans were, verbally upset about them rebooting everything. But when they look at it from the perspective of this is an opportunity to bring in new readers, they don't care. We, I mean, the new 52 from a marketing and a sales uh, point of view, it was successful. It a total in, success. It, yes. It brought in new readers. It, it sold more copies. DC, you know, it was, was right there. With Marvel, there was a couple months where they took over, you know, they were selling more copies or more, they were selling more money or more issues than, than Marvel, which hadn't happened for years leading up to the new 52. So you have to look at it from, 
you know, DC still a company. I personally, as a reader, was pissed about the fact that they were changing everything, pissed at the fact that they were renumbering everything. Even if they did just cancel a bunch of the series, you know, right before, it was annoying. But they weren't, this, the whole reboot and the new 52 is not geared towards the current readers. That's why people like Joshua Bertoni and, and Don do not care for the stuff because their, their stories is what happened pre new 52. So in some ways they will alienate some, some readers. I'm sure of it. They will always do that. But if they bring in more than they lose and they bring in a lot more than they lose, then it, it's always a success for them. Well, and here's the reality too. And, and this is going to sound like me being a callous jerk, but it isn't meant to be at all. The hardcore, hardcore fans, we, even if you complain, you're not going to stop reading. Exactly. I mean, like, really, like, honestly, like, what would they have to do where Dustin would have to wake up tomorrow and go, I'm done with Batman? Yeah. Like, it would have to be extreme. I mean, like, let Ann Nascenti write it for five years or something. Oh, God. I mean, it has to be brutal. But, so the hardcore guys, we're not going anywhere, you know? So I think that almost, this sounds bad, but they look at our opinions on stuff, and it doesn't matter when it comes to stuff like this because we're the last people – Sales-wise, we're, we're the lockdown sales number. We're the baseline. Yeah. yeah, and the thing is, perfect example, New 52 came around. I was uh, at my work. There was a guy who's really into comic books, but he specifically was reading independent stuff and Marvel stuff. Never really cared for DC stuff. They launched the New 52. He bought everything. He started getting into it. It got him into it, and he has, I think, like 15 books on his pull list from DC every single month. So he, it, it did its job. It brought in these guys, in these guys and girls who came, you know, who are not reading the DC stuff, gave them a point to say, Hey, if you want to do this, it's, we're doing this big enough thing where everybody and anybody can jump in. And if they learn from their mistakes, like they did with the new 52, it can only improve because if they create some newer, newer series and things like that, that are geared like what we've seen with what they've just done with giving Batgirl and Catwoman a new direction, introducing new books like Arkham Manor, Gotham Academy, and later this month we have Gotham by Midnight. You know, if they learn from their mistakes and realize that, okay, maybe we don't need a book, a spinoff book from the first major storyline of the new, of this new universe, like they did with Talon. You know, if they realize that from, if they learn from their mistakes, it could end up being really good. In a lot of ways, because, I mean, it didn't take, it took uh, just under a year for the first batch of those series to, to get canceled. So, I mean, they have a good idea of what they want. So, I mean, it's not unlikely that this isn't, this will not happen. But I, I do want to bring the conversation back to the books that <laughs> were announced because I, we got completely off track there. Uh, the other two, like I said, Nightwing and Oracle and Batgirl. So Stephanie Brown is back in the Batgirl costume. Um, Catman from the Flashpoint universe attacks. And we have Black Bat and Red Robin. Black Bat being Cassandra Kane and Red Robin Tim Drake. This is all pre-New 52 universe, obviously. Um, so that's, that's kind of interesting. Other thoughts on that. And then the Nightwing Oracle where Dixon ba- Dick and Babs, you know, could potentially review their relationship. I guess my only concern about this is that it's written by Gail Simone, but in Simone's defense, which you'll probably hear very, very little from me, uh, Gail Simone tend to write or, uh, Barbara Gordon Oracle much better than Barbara Gordon Batgirl. Um, so 
there's a possibility it could turn out to be interesting. So thoughts on those two series? I mean, it's it's going to be interesting, especially to see Stephanie back in the costume. I think that a little of the punch got pulled from this maybe because Stephanie just came back in the universe. I mean, if this had been the first time we had seen Stephanie in since the New 52, I think it would have been uh, a bigger deal. But since we kind of got her back as spoiler now, um, it won't feel as big. But uh, I think this is probably the one of the group I'm most interested in kind of seeing what's going on with. In Don's little thing, we, we don't see the longer uh, what what happens um, and that there is in parentheses the word marriage. So it's not just a discussion of their relationship, but it seems like there could be pushing towards something even more, uh, which is interesting because, of course, you flash backwards to a pre-one-year-later situation where um, Dick um, proposed to Babs and they were engaged, and then a year later they weren't, and you're wondering, how it's going, wondering what's going on. Um, I'm surprised. I don't know. I kind of wish that Chuck Dixon were writing it. I think that that would be uh, an interesting writer to to take on. It's, again, like both of these are, it's going to be hard to read for people who really loved those directions. And then, you know, now we're in this place. Like my mind and body and kind of spirit is all re- new 52. And now I've got to go back to this and see. like you're on a two-month high. Yeah, I know. Yeah, because the thing I was saying was like, it's like you were told that cigarettes are bad, so you got to quit. And then four years later, you're told, oh, wait a minute, you can actually smoke cigarettes. So you're back, you know, to this. Uh, yeah, I know, a two-month high, yeah. So, but, I mean, overall, you got to be excited for the characters that, you know, you loved and and how many people are clamoring to see Cass Kane. And no, she's not in the new 52, but at least you get to see her again. And I'm hoping that this new person, Elisa, whoever she is, does a good job because I think there's a lot of pressure on her probably from fans out there who really love the Brian Q. Miller run. Um, but yeah, you know, I just hope that things aren't pointless in what they're doing and it's, I'm most worried about this like marriage. I, I don't even know. Like I feel like that's a complete almost Spider-Man and, and Mary Jane getting back together, which it's not going to happen. Just like in your face fans, we did this because we want to make you happy, but not really. So we'll see what happens. All right. So with that, I'm sure we'll be talking about convergence the next couple of weeks. Cause like I said, as you're listening to this, the second batch of solicitate, well, not solicitations, but, announcements of the other mini-series for the second week and possibly even the third week by the time we get to the next episode will have been released. And if that's the case, we're probably going to be talking about this for at least two more episodes. And then we'll be doing, we'll be figuring out what we're going to be covering once it comes around to April. With that being said, that is all the news. We're going to jump straight into our comic book reviews. And we're going to first start off with Batman number 36. You know, Bats, we've been doing this little runaround of ours for years. It's been loads of laughs. But the sad fact is, none of us are getting any younger. Batman number 36, written by Scott Snyder, art by Greg Capullo. Uh, this issue opens up with Batman involved in another dream sequence from the upgraded fear toxin that he was exposed to sometime uh, towards the end of Eternal, I would, I would guess. Um, then we are right back into the big fight scene between Superman and Batman. Uh, Batman's suit uses a variety of gadgets to foil Superman's powers, but Bruce has made a small miscalculation in that he has always assumed that there were limits to what Superman would do, but this uh, Jokerized version of the character has no limits. 
Uh, Batman uses a last uh, kryptonite-based trick, and he is able to subdue him. Uh, we see that the Justice League has been sent to Argus, where they're all recovering. Uh, though it'll take, you know, four to five days before they're all back on their feet. Um, each member of the Justice League was infected with a virus, a Joker virus, that was specifically tailored to them. Uh, the Joker has been planning this for a long time. Alfred makes it very clear that he wants Bruce to, to get the Joker, and that he is not going to go into hiding just because the Joker is back. Bruce realizes that turning the Justice League against him is a message. Friends that have been turned into enemies, and that the Joker no longer sees him as his friend, but as his true enemy. Uh, Batman then goes to visit Joker's cell in the now-abandoned Arkham Asylum. Uh, while he is there, we, we meet Eric Border, who is a character who appeared back in Batman Annual Number 2. Um, Eric offers Batman his assistance, but is told that he should return to Arkham Manor because the inmates are probably in a skizzy because uh, Joker's back. Uh, while he's telling Eric that, that the cell door slams shut, and that Border is revealed to be the Joker himself. Um, as the Joker begins to flood the cell with some gas, he asks Batman if he missed him, and it kind of gives a an explanation that his his face was his face was rebuilt using plastic surgery and. You know, he was using makeup and drugs to, to change his skin color and things like that. So we get we get the explanation of his all-new face. Uh, the Joker pulls out uh, what we can assume is his old face uh, from a bag and tells Batman that the gas that he is breathing is a paralytic and a special version that will definitely uh, take care of him. Uh, we then see cut scenes of Joker toxin going off all over the city. And the Joker pulls a gun on Batman and tells him, by the end of this, everyone is going to be laughing at him. Uh, the story ends as we see Joker's gun go off. Uh, in the backup, we have here by James Tinian. Uh, story, it's the story of our inmates from last month, and we see them at the Great Wall Chinese restaurant. There's two guards that are tied up unconscious. Uh, another inmate tells the story of how she thought her family was being controlled by microchips and like evil alien robots. Uh, so she killed all, she killed her family, and then the Joker appeared to her afterwards. And revealed himself to be a robot, and he was controlling all of the families that had been implanted with microchips. Um, it's the standard thing, same thing we saw last time, where the Joker's putting himself in one of these stories and, and essentially using the people's crazy against them. Um, and then the guards that are unconscious wake up, and we see that they're Jokerized. And to be continued next month with uh, with another one of the inmate stories, I'm sure. First question, um, and I guess this is the most obvious talking point. Which is, we finally found out that, uh, what Joker had been up to since the death of the family, and that he's kind of been around for a while now as this Eric Border character. Um, what do you think about where he, where he was in his new appearance? So, I guess the, it was kind of a surprise because I, I thought it was interesting because there was that editor's note that said, first appeared way back in Batman Annual Number Two, and I was thinking, hmm. So I went back and I was reading and I was thinking, wow, there's absolutely no, I had no idea that this would have been the Joker at all. I think it is interesting, mostly because one, Batman is, is, is tricked by this character. Um, Batman has no idea what's going on. He knows that Joker's alive, but he ends up getting tricked and gassed by the Joker because of it, because of the reveal of, you know, Eric Border is actually Joker. Um, as far, as far as the appearance of Joker, I guess either I got lost in the explanation or something, but I'm not sure how his face grew back. Yeah. Um, his face was basically cut off, which means they're in, down to the point where it was just, you know, the, all three layers, each you know, normal skin has three layers. 
top layer, second layer, third layer, and the once the third layer comes off, it doesn't grow back. The first layer can be can you know that's normally where you'll see like you know dead skin fall off, but underneath it, the second layer is growing the new skin for the first layer. I have a hard time understanding how his face got to be a normal face. I get that he was wearing makeup to appear as this Eric Border character for all this time, but it's really hard to understand how he goes from having no face down to the, you know, the muscles and the veins and the blood in underneath the skin to a normal face. Yes, it does appear a little bit more tight. I'm not sure if that, if there's a reason behind that. I don't know if it's supposed to be like, because of what happened, it's kind of like getting a facelift or something like that where everything's really tight on your face. I don't know. But there's just, there was a lot of, it was very strange to see him completely okay with a normal face and so much to the fact where he, all he has to do is take muscle relaxers and put some makeup on his face and dye his hair and he looks like a normal human. That just, I don't know, there's something off about that to me. But I'm not complaining, I'm just saying I wish it was explained a little bit more other than how he could appear as this other person. I would have rather been told how he grew his face back, especially since he pulls out his old face, which, by the way, if he has his old face, what the heck is Joker's daughter wearing? She Good went question. to Hot Topic and bought one. <laughs> um, yeah, I I completely agree with Dustin. I think because it is Scott Snyder that he's probably already foreseen these questions and, uh, cr- you know, critiques of it. So I'm really hoping that this is just a piece of the puzzle of where and what Joker has been doing since death of the family. And in time, gaps are going to be filled out because we don't just want a huge info dump, I think, in the second issue of the story anyways. So I think little by little and perhaps um, Tinian or Tanyan is going to be using uh, those Arkham inmates as like the mouthpieces to let us know how he has been around and what he's been doing. But of course, they're cray cray. So who knows if we can trust them? I like the fact that, I mean, my goodness, that's that's pretty creepy and almost genius the fact that he's been around and has been able to keep on this full persona without letting into any i mean getting batman and potentially bruce wayne's trust and i mean who who would have thunk and it's so ironic that now he's kind of he's almost stated the fact that he is an enemy of Batman now, whereas previously he was saying, you know, he was doing everything for love, for the love of him. And so in his love, everything was really, really out there and obvious and that there was no subversion about it. He was going after people. And so now you see what he's like if he's aiming to take somebody down. He is more calculating. He is willing to bide his time. And I think this is potentially a Joker that we have um, yet to to see. Because I'm even thinking about killing Joker. And that was very much in the open, even though he had plans. And, and overall, it was to, to break Batman down. But to just almost go deep undercover like this for however long that would be in comics world, I think is pretty astounding. And, and I'm just, I'm, I want to see more about this backstory, but I'm really hopeful. And I think that this is just a piece of it and that we will, we'll get to know what it is soon because yeah, it doesn't make sense. We're, we're, you know, his face does, 
was it fake all along and, and he, he didn't really cut off his face? I don't know, but I'm hoping our questions will be answered. To, I guess, follow up my comment before, when I said the joke, what is Joker's daughter wearing? I forgot for a, mo- a brief moment that, oh, wait, this is actually taking place after the events of Eternal. So maybe, oh, by, the true. End of, maybe by the end of Eternal, we see something happen where, she loses the face or she is killed or something. And then that explains why he has his old face. If she actually is wearing the real one. But when does new Suicide Squad take place? Current times, I suppose. But it would be taking, I don't know, because if you read new Suicide Squad, it's not taking place the same time as Harley Quinn ongoing or the Batman Eternal. So I don't know. It's, it, there's a couple problems when you have the crossover books or the team team books involving so many characters who are also in their own series. Or in, in Joker's daughter's cases, featured in an ongoing series. Yeah. Well, if we're lucky, Joker gets like really PO'd that someone's wearing his visage and kills Joker's daughter that and then awesome. takes the face back. <laughs> or it could just be he just, you know, cut off some other dude's face for <laughs> dramatic effect i mean you know plus was there it ever i don't think it was ever conclusive that she had joker's face was it just she found a face i don't know that character's got me like who cares maybe i, I like dustin's idea just kill joker's daughter and move on i mean yep. that would be i think that's probably the best plan i've heard and i assume too like he makes some references when you guys talk about where he gets the face to like plastic surgery um i'm kind of assuming that like stella said that we'll see something about this down the road a little bit um, I understand, Dustin, your, your, your points about the, the epidermis and the scientific part of it, but I think that in this kind of comic book DC universe, we can accept, I mean, anything from yeah. like, the yeah, Green Lantern or right. I mean, there's gotta be somebody who could have fixed them, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. And I actually, like, I'm kind of glad we've dealt with it like this because, you know, remember, it wasn't Snyder that cut off his face, wasn't that Tony Daniel, right? Yeah. In the first Detective Comics. Yep. So I'm kind of just glad, like, this is is like the Alicia thing in Batgirl when we rebooted Batgirl last month. It just, like, if you, this is what we're going to do to get a face back on him, let's just do it, you know? Um, the whole idea that when Tony Daniel had him cut his face off, we had to deal with it. And think about that. That scene we wrote in Detective Comics 1 after the reboot snowballed into the Joker's daughter character with a face. I mean, so I'm ready for us just to, I mean, I, I think we will get a backstory on it, but if we don't, I'm cool with just getting a face on the guy. In some ways, I can almost see, you know, us getting the backstory and somehow Hush being involved. And that's why this is taking place after the events of Eternal, because at some some point at the end of Eternal, it's going to be revealed that Hush worked with Joker or something and gave him his face back. Even though they really haven't talked about the fact within the New 52 that he's a plastic surgeon, you know, He's basically a madman who's obsessed with Bruce Wayne who smashed his face and now wears bandages on it because bandages happen to be sitting next to the sink. It's another story for another day, but I'm sure they'll probably explain that at some point. Yeah, and I think, too, the reason that's kind of made sense to me is I wouldn't be surprised if in the next month or two in Eternal, if we see the Eric Border character pop up. I mean, I think that, and I think this may have been why you're seeing a time jump. Or, Or even in Arkham Manor. Right, like where he is where it was we, we had to, like, get the cat out of the bag and let us know that this is the Joker, you know, so the other stories will make sense. Now, I, I did see an interview where Snyder said that 
they had to edit the Batman annual. I don't know if you guys did this, but I actually went back and read the Batman annual after this. Uh, yeah, I read I this did one. Too. Yeah. Uh, I went back and read it, and he said that they had to edit it originally and took out a bunch of things, several sayings that made it really obvious that Eric was the joke. I think that this was supposed to be there for a while, so interesting. But the other thing, and Stella kind of touched on this a little bit with the fact that Batman's gone, the Joker's gone full, full demon, full hate. Um, and he says he's going to embarrass him or that everyone's going to, you know, be laughing at him by the end of this. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering, since this Joker is a lot different, I think, than our new 52, our, our pre-new 52 Joker. I think this is, like we talked about last last time, that more of a Moriarty-type character, a thinking villain for Batman, per se. What do you think he's up to? I mean, at the end, in Death of the Family, we saw that his, his whole plan was to, you know, make them all hate each other. What do you think that the plan is is here in the end? Do you think it's just kill him or just embarrass him? Or mm. where, where do you think he's going to go with this? I think embarrass, like, the worst embarrassment I think there is for, for Batman, the worst shame there is, is just to fail, to fail his city. And I, I, I think that it's, it's started right now. Yeah. I mean, he's trapped in all this bad, like, the gas is going off and everything. So just to make a situation that is almost impossible for Batman to handle and to see, you know, innocent people die, I think that is the greatest shame that Batman can have. Yeah, and I, and I would agree. I think that's honestly what's happening. And we're already seeing it happen how, you know, there's people in the hospitals, people on the streets, you know, affected by the Joker gas, terrorizing other people. And Batman can't do anything. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if next episode, or, uh, next issue we see Joker roll up a TV so Batman can watch the news report on TV of what's happening to Gotham and he can't save it. And then, you, you know, you're bound to have somebody sit there and say, well, where's Batman? Where is he? He needs to help, and he's the only one who can stop the Joker, blah, blah, blah. Especially since the entire Justice League, they've already made, you know, incapacitated for at least the next five days, but who knows how long it'll be before they want to come anywhere near Gotham City again. So, I don't know, I I think in in a lot of ways, like Stella said, it's already happening, but I'm sure there's a lot more to the plan, too, because we know there's, I mean, there's still four more issues of this story before... You know, it's it's done. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And I do like the fact, Dustin, they, that they took the Justice League out of commission here. I, I know that it's not every hero in the DC universe, obviously, but there is always that that thing where you have where when something bad happens, you go, "Why didn't he just call someone?" You know, like. So I, I do think that was kind of cool to uh to take him out of the equation here. Um, and I don't really have anything to discuss about the backup. Yeah, the backups are just. I, I mean, I I have nothing against the backups. I mean. Though I I did have something against last month because I don't like Kelly Jones art, but um, th- th- I don't I, say. I, <laughs> but <laughs> but you know I basically it just feels like they're they're if I think the backups if you put them all together once they all release they'll tell a great story, but yep. right now individually they're so they're so self contained and so short. And the fact that it's just dealing with one person's perspective every single backup, it's it's very difficult to appreciate what they're trying to get across. I feel like I know what they're trying to get across. They're going to eventually, it's going to lead to the fact that Eric Border was all of these people's doctor and he's been manipulating them into all, you know, manipulating into to them thinking of all of this stuff regarding the Joker and they're like the catalyst for everyone finding out that, you know, everybody else finding out that Joker was Eric Border and not just Batman. So 
I feel like that's what's going to happen. But like I said, there's nothing really talk about issue to issue. Yep, I couldn't agree more. All right, so Batman number 36. I thought this was good. I'm going to give it a total of four out of five bat rings. Four out of five. Four out of five. All right, so that's going to give Batman number 36 a total of four out of five bat rings. Let's move into our next book, Batman Eternal number 31. Batman Eternal number 31, written by Ray Fox, art by Fernando Passerin. The issue starts off with Alfred hallucinating uh, not just his old days. He's stuck underneath some debris, and he's hallucinating his old days in the army, but at the same time, some sort of crazy demons. Clearly, he's still affected by some, at least a little bit affected by the fear toxin. When Bane comes up and uh, lifts up the debris above him so that he can get free. Uh, at the top of the disaster site of Arkham Asylum, we see the GCPD and all of the rescue efforts that are trying to get there, and suddenly there's a bunch of villains who are emerging from the hole, including Mr. Freeze and Clayface and Victor Zaz. Uh, down below, from the cliffhanger from the last issue, we see Joker's daughter, she releases the suicide vest, doesn't go off, she can't figure it out. Batman gives her one swift kick to the, the gut, she uh, cracks up against some debris, and uh, she's knocked out. Uh, and Batman says, somebody's playing some games, and uh, Julia tells him that the villains are up top and that the police need help because they can't contain them. Batman goes up top, slowly starts taking out a variety of the different villains, uh, Batman, meanwhile, tells Julia, listen, we need to figure out exactly who's, who's, what's going on and, and, uh, how all of this is, is happening. We need to figure out Hush's plans. Um, while he's taking out the villains, the police say to Bullock, hey, listen, we've got Batman. Uh, we've got a clear lock on him. Uh, do we take the, do we take the, uh, shot? And Bullock says, no, you're, I'm not giving that order today. Um, we then see Batman, uh, down below Arkham Asylum. Alfred, who seems to be, you know, he's hallucinating to a degree, but he's able to coherently talk to Bane, and he says, why didn't you leave me? And Bane says, listen, uh, I, I, I could tell you're ex-military, and you'll be an asset, so that's why I helped you out. Alfred then points out that uh, he knows exactly, he knows uh, the entire city the entire city is mapped to a grid and he knows where they are from a code that is on some debris. And Bane says, listen, I'm going to lead you follow. And, uh, Alfred says, no problem. If you can lead wherever you want, they end up going down a wrong tunnel and a bunch of those weird demon creatures start attacking Alfred and Bane. Meanwhile, Julia is trying to figure out where her father is in the hospital, comes across the fact that, uh, Tommy Elliott, uh, had him transferred to Arkham Asylum. She's pretty ticked about this. Downtown Gotham, we see Vicky Vale getting into a taxi, or getting out of a taxi, I should say, when uh, she's talking to her editor, talking about the disaster that's happening in Arkham Asylum. Stephanie is trying to escape something, but as it turns out, it's actually Hush. Um, we then see back at the disaster site, the police have Batman surrounded after he has already taken out the villains, and Batman uses a, basically what appears to be some sort of sonar 
device to make everybody's ears hurt really bad so he can get away. As he gets away, he finds, uh, Julia says that, uh, they need to find her father in Arkham and, and Batman says, listen, your father is one of the toughest people I've ever met. He'll, he'll do him, you know, he'll get out. If anyone can survive, it's him. Um, we then see, we, Julia then says, okay, you better get over to Hush because he's about to kill somebody. He's in an alley. Um, because they locked on the satellites to see if Hush would pop up anywhere. The satellite picked up that Hush has Stephanie Brown, spoiler, in an alleyway. Uh, back underground, Bane takes out of all these demons and helps Alfred. Alfred has no problem stabbing one of these demons through the neck. Um, after that, Alfred leads Bane to a spot, uh, then he says, 10, 20, theta, disable, validate, and all of a sudden some gas. Shoots out gases Bane, and we see a small little bat cave cache appear. And Alfred tell go over the intercom and says, um, "I've secured location NB13 and actually access the cache. Subterranean secure comms are online." Uh, Batwing says, "Thank God, I, I need help. Help me out." Um, Julia is super happy that Alfred's still alive. And Batman says, let's get to work. Next up, weapons of mass destruction. I guess the first thing I want to talk about is Alfred. So we've already seen in Batman Endgame how Alfred is, you know, he's he's no longer dealing with the fear toxin. The idea of Alfred being locked up in, in a straitjacket for a long period of time, I guess in some ways I think was kind of over-exaggerated. Um, eventually he had to wear down the, the fear toxin had to wear itself down and he could go necessarily back to normal or slightly close to normal or something like that. But the point is, uh, here we see him going from hallucinating to able to coherently figure out exactly where he is, take out Bane and go to the cache that's in the sewers of, you know, near Arkham Asylum to contact Batman and Julia. So we have that happen. Um, what did you think of Bane and Alfred teaming up personally? I thought it was interesting because we don't see a lot of FaceTime between Alfred and the villains normally, unless it's something's gone terribly wrong, like death of the family, you know? Um, it, it was nice here. It was, it was a good reminder to see that Alfred is a tough guy and that he, he can take care of himself. I think we, there is so many times and I'm the worst in the world probably about it. We fall into the trap of, well, Batman has to go rescue Alfred. But the reality is, unless it's an extreme circumstance, this guy can take care of himself. Um, and I think it was nice to see his level of self, you know, reliance, especially against someone like Bane. This wasn't a, a henchman or, or a third rate guy like a condiment king or something like, you know, I mean, I mean, this was against a legit uh, villain in Bane and he outsmarts him, takes him out and puts himself back into play. So I thought this was a, was a cool sequence. It's funny because when Bane was, he popped up in the previous issue or the last, and I remember Dustin saying, just so you know, Bane, I saw something that Bane's supposed to appear. And then I thought it was like a little bit down the line and then poof, here he is. And to see him, well, first when I saw him pick up that rubble, I thought, oh no, what's going to happen here? And I was a little nervous for Alfred. And of course, when Alfred, you know, touched him on the shoulder and Bane said, don't ever touch me again, I just thought, oh my gosh, this is totally like the odd couple walking through these catacombs trying to get out. And, and I just thought that 
I thought it was great. I thought it was well written in a certain sense. I think if you just read it and think about it, like I thought it had some humor attached to it as well. Just the strangest couple of men that could ever come together. And it's interesting, you know, I mean, Bane is an intelligent guy and just from how Alfred is, is fighting, he can tell that he has some military background. And of course he's using him uh, to, to watch his back. But of course, you know, I can take you down whenever I need you. And it's funny that, you know, Alfred's the one that gets a drop on him. So just, just a partnership that you would never ever think about seeing, but I thought that it came together wonderfully. I don't think you could ever do it again. I think it's one of those, you know, diamonds in the rough that, that just once in a lifetime sort of appears and, and it just turned out really well. I would agree. I thought it was really cool. I mean, the problem is if you look at this from the perspective of a pre new 52 reader in Alfred, Alfred and Bane, Bane knows who Alfred is because Bane knows who Bruce Wayne is. So the thing is there's, there's that they obviously don't know each other in this New 52 universe, which, okay, that's fine. I don't really have a problem with it. I think it was interesting to see the two of them work together. Bane's reasoning for military, Alfred's reasoning was really just because he needed the brawn. You know, he needed to get somewhere. And if Bane was the person to beat off those demon guys or to lift some giant rubble, made complete sense. Um, <laughs> this is going to sound... This has really nothing to do with this issue other than just it has to do with Bane. But why is, do you think that Bane is allowed to wear his mask while he's in, he's locked up? This isn't the first time we've seen it, so there's no critic, I'm not criticizing mm-hmm. this specific issue. But Bane is one of the few people, and I, and, and specifically dealing with this, we also see Mr. Freeze completely emerge in his suit. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's entirely possible, but Bane in general, this isn't the first time when we had the Forever Evil thing last year. Um, the whole thing where Bane basically was in Blackgate, he had his mask on then. Um, so why do you think Bane is locked to his But he doesn't have his accoutrements with him, though. It is just a mask. Like, you don't see any of the tubing. So I feel like it, it's just one of those things. And I think it's just this era of New 52 that we've seen it in other cases that we walk by and the people have their costumes on. So I don't know if it's just a changing of the guard and, and they're allowed to wear it, but I think it's fine just that it is his mask and it's, you know, a part of him. If I could see the tubes and everything and, and that actual venom is flowing through him, I would have a problem. But I think because his weapons are actually disconnected, I don't have as much a problem. However, the freeze thing is a little weird since he obviously, on the one hand, part of it is life. Like he needs it, his little bubble head. But, uh, it seems like he's got his, his gun as well. So I don't know how he got that out of there. Because the hospital administrators at Arkham Asylum are the worst administrators on the planet. <laughs> That's yeah, probably because, true. Because, because, because they let people Arkham ex- Asylum collapsed. Somebody ran down the hallway with a shopping cart full of all of their, their weapons and was like, hey, let's go. I mean, they, they let people escape. They hire the Joker to be an orderly. I mean, these guys aren't, aren't good administrators. And I, I don't know why this has become the new 52, why they portray him with in their cell. I don't, I mean, I assume it's just so we know who it is. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's one where I think that that's probably direction that should come from editorial, which is guys, they're in, they're in cells. You can't, you know, 
Now, unless there is some reason where the mask is shown to be need to keep Bane alive, blah, 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 or and a freeze, I guess, but I assume he's got a refrigerated cell. But yeah, it is, it is just weird to see them do that all the time. Sure. Yeah, and I won't even bring up the idea of I don't understand why Bane is in Arkham Asylum because he's not a cuckoo. He, yeah, he should be in Blackgate, yeah, right? He's he's always been portrayed as been one of the people who go to Blackgate. So, that, I mean, like it, it makes complete sense for the story for them to have him in Arkham, but they just don't lock up every villain who Batman fights in Arkham. But. I'm not, I, it's, it's a minor thing. It's not that big of a deal. Honestly, it doesn't feel like Bane is going to be a, uh, situation in the next couple issues anyway. So this was his, his one issue cameo, um, for the, the series. All right. So Batman Eternal number 31. Overall, I thought this was pretty good. I'm going to give it four out of five bad ranks. Uh, three and a half out of five. I actually really liked this issue and, I could actually follow it, which I can't normally follow the Arkham one, so I'm going to give it a four out of five. All right. And over on the website, Corbin gave it three, so that's going to give Batman Eternal number 31 a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batman Eternal number 32. Batman Eternal number 32, script by Kyle Higgins, art by Jason Fabic. Uh, the issue starts off right in that alley where we last saw, or where we last saw, uh, Hush has spoiler. Spoiler's about to basically go after Hush because Hush has every intention of killing her. Um, she sprays what appears to be some mace in his face and, uh, just as he's about to pull the trigger on her head, Batman pops up and says, you're not killing anyone. Uh, he knocks away Hush's gun. They start fighting. Hush, uh, I guess had a second gun or he didn't lose grip of his gun or something, but he continues to fire off a bunch of bullets at Batman. Uh, fight takes place. Spoiler starts up her motorcycle, drives it right into Tommy Elliott. Um, and Tommy Elliott in return throws a grenade at Spoiler and Batman and Batman pushes her out of the way. He says, get down. Um, as after the explosion, he gets up. Spoiler is gone. Tommy Elliott's gone too. In the ruins of Arkham Asylum, we see Batman uh, be lowering himself down through a cavern so that he can get to Batwing, and Batwing is now safe. Um, back at the Batcave, we see Alfred and Julia. Uh, they see each other. They're very happy that uh, they're, they're not, you know, that, that they are together again and that Alfred's obviously not dead. Uh, the, elsewhere, we see Jason Bard walking up a bunch of stairs to the rooftop of Gotham City. He is... Got a cane now. Um, clearly has a problem walking. He meets up with Hush, and Hush says, "You took you too long." He says, "Yeah, well, there's no elevator to get up here, so maybe we shouldn't meet up here anymore." Um, he says, "I need you to secure these places, put officers on post." And and Jason says, "Where? What, what is this?" And we don't really see. And then he says, uh, "Hush says, uh, well, because the beacon didn't fall, uh, we're going to cut off Batman. Uh, so do this now." Get the word out wide. Back at the Batcave, we see Batman talking with Julia about uh, the fact that uh, Batman has requested uh, Leslie Tompkins to come look after Alfred. Um, she says that it's been quite some time since uh, he's rested. It's been a couple days since he was back at the Batcave. Um, then he says something about the McGregor database has been accessed. And he says, he asks her if it was her. She says, no. 
meanwhile, we see Jason Bard approach Vicky Vale at her apartment and say, listen, I've got something big, something we need to talk about. And as it turns out, the big thing that uh, they need to talk about is the fact that Batman has cachets spread all amongst the city. And uh, Batman realizes that Hush knows exactly where all of them are, and all the bunker sites and uh, the safe houses all throughout the city. And the only people who have access to these are, it's by DNA, it's DNA locked, but the only people who have access is Bruce and Alfred. But wait, Alfred was taken out by Hush, so guess what? Hush has Alfred's DNA and is using it to access the caches. Um, we see Jason Bard telling Vicky Vale about this and saying it's a big deal. Um, we see Hush setting up an explosion, takes out a bunch of military guys, and next up, public menace. In some ways, we start to see the fall of Bruce Wayne that was hinted at in Arkham Manor, how Bruce Wayne loses his entire fortune. I feel like this is being tied to it because they do mention that Wayne Enterprises has full knowledge that that's they're making this these mer- this merchandise for Batman. I'm guessing in some way they'll tie it back to Batman Incorporated, where Wayne Enterprises was making stuff for Batman Incorporated and Batman, and because of that, some sort of explosion goes off. Batman's blamed for the explosion, making his public image even worse than it already is amongst the normal c- citizens compared to just the GCPD. And now, in turn... Wayne Enterprise stock is going to fall because it's going to be, it's going to come out that he, you know, that Wayne Enterprise has been making the the stuff for Batman. Everyone's going to not like Batman and take it out on Wayne Enterprises. And that's how Bruce Wayne loses all his money. That's one of my guesses at this point. I don't have much to talk about other than that because it's, again, felt like they were setting up, they were setting a lot of things into motion. Um, in some ways, it was kind of hinted at what they were getting to because a couple of issues ago, we saw uh, we saw Tommy Elliott access that one weapons cache in that store across from where Joker's daughter was in the alley. Um, we saw Alfred access the, the the bunker that was in the sewers in the last issue. So, in some ways, they've slowly been hinting to what is happening. But basically, if if Batman's arsenal is taken out. Do you really think it matters? Do you think it's that big of a deal where if all of his stuff is gone, he can't beat Hush? I think that the more important part of this is what you talked about before, which is the linking this to Wayne Enterprises and the destruction of Bruce Wayne's personal fortune. Um, I don't think that the weapons, because here's the reality is, although Hush has the list of where all the caches are, we all know that there'll be another hidden cachet or one in Metropolis or insert name, Bloodhaven, whatever. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that that's, that's the reality of the situation or someone will bring him some stuff. Um, but I think the important part there is, is the original point, which is this is the kind of the beginning of the, how did Bruce Wayne go broke? How did he end up having to give up Wayne Manor? You know, and I, I think that this is the beginning of that story. And from that viewpoint, I think this is, extremely important to see the kind of beginning of this of this plan for much yeah and i know i talked about heart of hush before the the paul denny um miniseries or i guess it was in 
But anyways, um, and it's interesting because I, I like to keep going back to that because I think there are ties to it, certainly, as well as just the first Hush storyline. But at the very end, because of what Hush had done to Catwoman, and, and I thought it was a really good story, so I do recommend reading that. But because of what he had done, Catwoman hires, you know, some people at some of her friends to help her out. And, uh, they basically steal all of Hush's fortunes. And, um, you know, she pays her friends that helped her out. She takes a large chunk and then she gives a lot of it away. And he's basically bankrupt. So starting off, um, Gates of Gotham or what is it? Streets of Gotham. You know, he's bankrupt and he's pretty upset about it. And I feel like there's just some sort of connection to that that they want to take it but really spin it on its head. And, and I just feel like a lot of these people that are working with Hush are also trying to, you know, break down the, the Wayne fortunes, though they may not necessarily know who Batman is. But I think if that is ultimately Hush's goal, he's very much, you know, the Catwoman in that Hush story. And uh, I don't know if that makes sense. But I just feel like there's such a great connection to that previous story, but they're just kind of turning it around and changing it up. But, yeah, just like Ed said, I... Batman is always ready for any contingency. So I think if, if, uh, Tower of Babel taught us anything, then Batman, I think to a certain extent, distrusts nearly everybody. And even though he loves and, you know, honors Alfred, I think perhaps there is a chance that he would have thought, well, Alfred could have, you know, a starro could have been attached to the back of his neck. And what happens then? Cause then he'll have, uh, admittance into everything. So, so I think there probably is something that is even, uh, beyond the knowledge of Alfred. I think that to, to say that Batman is ill prepared for, for such a circumstance is very wrong. But, but yeah, I am interested to see what happens with the millions. I, I think it's a, a slow burn, but I really do think that it's, it's going to be a sim, similar sort of thing as Heart of Hush. All right. And then the only other small little bit that I have is Jason Fabic was back in the book. Um, he was the, basically the original artist that was attached to Batman Eternal. And this is actually, I believe, his last issue of Batman Eternal that he did before he moved over to working with uh, Jeff Johns on Justice League. Um, so I just wanted to briefly mention the arts. I, I have loved Fabic's art. I liked what he did in Detective Comics. I liked what he's done in Batman Eternal. Overall, I think he's he's a good artist, and I'd love to see him come back to the Batman universe at some other point down the line. Um, just great job, and I just wanted to give him a call out specifically because, you know, this is his his final issue in the Batman universe. I mean, Fabic's good, but he's no Kelly Jones. Yeah. Uh, That's true. Okay. <laughs> so no real comments for my. No, I, I, like, I like Fabic's art too. I do. Fabic is, does a really good job. Um, one of the biggest problems we've had of Eternal has been the kind of the inconsistency with some of the fill-in artists, you know? Yeah. Um, I wish that if I could have changed anything really about Eternal at this point, there is some part of the Arkham storyline which got a little muddle muddled, but more of Fabic and, and giving some more consistency to the art team with people with styles closer to Fabic's would have been something I think that would have caused or made this series a lot better. But no, Fabic has done a really good job on it, and I really wish this wasn't his last uh, his last issue. But he's got to move on to bigger and better things. I mean, Justice League is obviously no walk in the park. But uh, I would I, I will give props to Fernando Pissarin. The issue 31 
it was it was pretty. He did a very good job. You can tell that there's some issues where he has plenty of time, and there's other issues that he doesn't have as much time. It felt like 31 was an issue that he had time to be able to work out the art, so it was at least in somewhat the same flow as a lot of the other stuff. Now, I'm not saying every artist has to be the exact same for the series, especially when it's a weekly book like this, but the way they originally broke it up, it was there was different artists with different stories. So you had, like, the supernatural story. You had the writer and the artist who were working on that. Then you had, you know, the, the Stephanie Brown stuff. And eventually, when everything started to, like, you know, come together in the story, it just became a free-for-all for the artists. It was like, okay, we'll have this artist on this issue, this artist on the next issue. We'll have Alfred fat in one issue. We'll have Alfred skinny in the next issue. Things like that. So, but I, Fabic did a great job. I know he was the, he was the artist who was basically the planning person for the series when they first did this. He was the one who created that promo image last November, the Bat Thanksgiving, uh, promo image. Um, so, Sad to see him go, but obviously, I'm sure we'll see him again sometime in the future. For now, look for him on Justice League. So with that, Batman Eternal number 32, I thought, again, this was a good issue. Um, I didn't think it was... It, I don't think it was as good as the last one, probably just because I liked the Alfred Bain team-up in the last one. Oh, yeah, issue. for sure. But uh, I'll give it three and a half out of five batterings. Um, yeah, for me, this is the same as the issue before. Not in a bad way. I thought they were both good issues, but three and a half out of five. I'm going to give it a 3.5 better ranks. All right. So that's going to give Batman Eternal number 32 a total of three and a half out of five better ranks. Let's move into our last book, Detective Comics number 36. Detective Comics number 36, writer Benjamin Percy, artist John Paul Leon. The story opens where we we ended the last episode with Magnuson uh, telling us all about the virus on the TV, over the TV, I guess I should say, in the Gotham International Airport. Uh, it eats all matter up and ages things to death, essentially. Um, but he does say he has a cure for it. Um, the CDC arrives on scene, and Batman makes a call to uh, to Dick Grayson, who he thinks may be able to help. Uh, we interrupt Dick, who is apparently torturing somebody for some information. Um, the CDC then takes command from the, the local uh, police law enforcement that's there and puts uh, Chief Boar in isolation so they can observe his health. And he will be kind of like their guide for how long people have as they watch his deterioration. Uh, Dick then moves up the severity of his torture because he wants to know where Magnuson is and happens to have a guy in custody that might have that answer. Um, Batman discovers what he believes to be the source of the virus, which is the body of a military member that is being flown back under honor guard. Dick traces down one of Magnuson's contacts uh, from the information he gets and uses a form of, um, I'll call it quick seduction, to get the information that he needs through some aggressive flirting. Uh, turns out that Mag- – I don't know how to say it. It turns out Magnuson is a walking vaccine, um, and he is actually at the Gotham airport. Uh, Batman uses the information and finds him in the holding tank with the body. He quickly subdues him. Um, they get the, uh, the vaccine and, the, and the, assumingly the cure from him. And uh, they kind of put things to rights. Um, and then we see Chief Boar, you know, recovering, although it doesn't look like he's going to recover fully. Uh, the, the, the blood transfer is going to give him some more time, but his, his exposure was worse. Uh, but he is given a trip to Hawaii from an unknown friend, and we all know that's from Bruce slash Batman. I have two questions that I really am curious to see what you guys think about. And the first is, 
probably the most startlingly obvious, which is what do you guys think of the portrayal of Dick Grayson in this issue? Well, it's pretty online with what's happening in Grayson, other than I haven't really seen him torture anybody in the pages of Grayson yet. Um, but And he's legit torturing that guy, right? I mean, oh, he's yeah. not he's oh, not yeah. kind yeah. of doing it. This isn't like, oh, I just was using my mind Jedi mojo on him. I mean, he's legit <laughs> like going flyers and medieval on this guy, you know? Yeah, and I think the th- I think the thing is like in some ways I'll, I I look at it like this, okay? Dick is a weapon in Batman's arsenal. And if you've watched Arrow recently, you'll you'll think I'm stealing that line out of there. But <laughs> uh, but uh, he basically he he's he's something that that Batman can utilize. You know, Dick's out there. I didn't know that they could communicate just by you know picking up the phone and calling because they made it very clear in Grayson the only way that they can communicate was with that clock, you know, radio communicator thing. Um, but that being said, that pushed aside. Batman is looking for a way to find the information that he needs. Dick is somebody who could get him that information, whether, you know, it is a little convenient how he happened to have somebody in custody who would be able to immediately tell who the, per- where the person is or someone who might know where he is and things like that. Um, the, you know, the quick seduction, I don't know that there was a better way to put that, Ed. I think that was pretty much the best way to put it. You know, heavy flirting, that's exactly what he did. Um, but we've seen that plenty, that's pretty much in every, every single issue of Grayson is him flirting or doing something with some chick to, you know, progress the mission. He's become basically the, uh, the whore of the bad family, but sex machine. Yeah. But, uh, that being said, um, I, I didn't have a problem with it, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I felt like, I don't know. I think when reading Grayson, or at least this part, like I was really channeling, you know, some Alias, which is the early 2000s awesome show, or The Americans when, you know, he goes into the club and he's with that dominatrix. So it, it really, I think, continued just the spy tone that, of course, is in the Grayson comic. Um, I was, I too was very taken aback just that he's, the guy that is ripping out another guy's tooth and he's not doing it. You, you know, he doesn't have a middleman and he's not the squeamish one saying this isn't right. So f- for me, that was a huge character change. Whereas the, the club scene and, and all of the stuff that went with that, the flirting and everything and, and just him <laughs> playing bossa nova, that was, that was totally, I mean, that's Dick Grayson right there. And, and I think just as a super spy, but, but yeah, I was, I was pretty shocked with that scene and, and I had to read it a couple of times to realize who it was because at first I didn't really I don't know. I didn't automatically think that it was Dick Grayson until uh, it was more clear the second time I read it. I didn't have an issue with the quick seduction scene. That was in character with me. Um, and I get the fact he's a spy now. I mean, I understand that the world of Spiral is a little different than, than where he was. But I thought that the torture scene was a little far for him. Especially how he's just like, well, I need to know. Someone give me the pliers. I mean, like, he's just... He's very nonchalant about it. I think that I would have enjoyed it if we would have had, if that had been Jason Todd doing that, it would have made more sense to me. Because Jason would just, he doesn't care, right? So I think it, it, I, the only 
the fault I have is I, I felt that was more of a Jason characterization where it would have been interesting for Jason to get the, and when it would have made more sense that Jason gets the information and he gives that piece of information to Dick and Dick does do the seduction, I think. Or he gave it to Batman and Batman gave it to Dick. But I, that felt more like a Jason Todd thing to me than Dick Grayson moment. I thought that it was, he was too quick and too callous. And I understand he's undercover and then the guy he's doing this to is probably a, a scumbag. Uh, but uh, it did feel like he was just too easy to kind of like, oh, well, I guess I'm going to torture you now. Um, but the rest of it was fine, but I did think that was a, that was a bit too far. And then my other thing about this, the story is, you know, I think a lot of times, and I think we see this in Eternal right now, uh, we see that stories have a lot of fluff put into them, where we have long periods of, of nothing really happening in, in stories. We, where we, it's going to be five issues, so we have to like, kind of pad it a little bit. I feel like almost the opposite happened in this story. I was wondering what you guys thought about the pacing. It felt like to me, like, what this story really could have used was an extra issue because I felt that although I enjoyed this two part story a lot, um, it did feel like this last issue was had a lot more packed in and that maybe an extra issue could have given us some expanded thoughts on the story and, and the background and it wouldn't have felt so rushed. Just wonder what you guys thought about the pace. You know, for the most part, it was very fast paced. I don't think it needed another issue. And I don't really think that it necessarily needed more explanation. I would have, I guess I, the, I guess the only issue I see with it being as short as it was, was the fact that there was, and this is going to come across an extremely weird, probably more of like a pet peeve type thing any, other than, other than anything else. But the, the art style, it's very, very scratchy, detailed, but it's very dark too. But then on top of that, there was a lot of text. And I think in some ways, if, if you had, the art was a lighter, was lighter and not as dark, but you had just as much text, it probably would have been just fine. Um, if the art stayed the way it was, you probably could have got an extra half issue out of it. Um, but just by making it so it's not, like, I don't know, it's just, each page was very dark. And reading all the text, because there's a lot of text, there's a lot of explanation on a lot of pages and panels and stuff like that. So I think in some ways, maybe linking this up with a different artist could have been, could have made it better for a two, two page or a two issue story arc. But I'm not complaining about the art because I enjoyed the art. But I don't think in any way, whether it was the same team or whether it was a different team, I don't know that three issues would have been better. I, f- I feel like that would have actually felt like it was too long because it was a very quick story. Yeah, it, it was so quick and uh, it's so weird sometimes going from one creative team to a very short break to another creative team that you almost wish this were, you know, a spec or an annual. I think this would have actually worked really well as an, like an oversized annual if you had both stories together. But, but I, I was worried about this. I think the last time we talked about it, just the fact that it seems like an awesome story. I did, you know, I remember talking about getting a sense of, um, it was that FX series, the strain because of the thing with the, the, the airport, but I, I think it was such an interesting way and, and an interesting setting shift that I wish we could have done it a little bit more because we always deal with Gotham City, which I think is great. Gotham is a, a great character, but to have Batman with these 
completely different characters that we we don't ever see and interacting with these type of people, people that work at the airport to be in this setting and enclosed space, I think what, what is difficult and also just had a great potential. And I was really looking forward to seeing what what would happen. But I just feel like the cure and everything came too quickly. I almost wish that there could have been more of a grace and crossover and that, you know, we could have had Batman working to find answers in the airport and then Dick was doing something on the outside and there was more. There wasn't just this quick club scene and then the the quick seduction and he got answers and everything. I, I wish that it would have been a longer pull and then, you know, maybe a fight at the end or whatever. But it, it just ended so quickly and I think the story had such potential. But I think, you know, for the creators, they were given what they were given. I, I think that, uh, Buccellato and, and Manipool probably just were going to get two issues off and that's all that these people had to deal with. So I applaud them for the story. I think it was really interesting and a, a totally different take, but I agree that I would have liked a, a third issue to kind of build more. All right. So Detective Comics number 36, I'm going to give a total of four out of five batterings. Um, I liked it. I mean, I, I, I did. I'm going to go four out of five as well. And I will also go four out of five. And over on the website, Brian gave it four. So that's going to give Detective Comics number 36 a total of four out of five batterings. That is all of our books. Let's go over the reviews and editorials that we have over on the website. Uh, starting off, we have Batman Eternal number 31 reviewed by Corbin. He gave it three. Um, Detective Comics number 36, reviewed by Brian, he gave it four. Grayson number four, reviewed by Ryan, he gave it two. Gotham Academy number two, reviewed by Corbin, he gave it four. We have Batman 66, chapter number 47, reviewed by Ryan, he gave it three. Batgirl number 36, reviewed by Don, he gave it four and a half. New Suicide Squad number four, reviewed by Joseph, he gave it three and a half. And Earth 2 World's End Issues 1 through 6, reviewed by Ryan, he gave it 2.5. Um, also, the two editorials we have on the website, as I mentioned earlier, the Convergence editorial by Don, dealing with uh, kind of the setup to a lot of the stuff that's supposed to be happening within it. And then our very own Ed also <laughs> wrote up an article, if you want to tell people what that's about. Yeah, I wrote uh, an article where I essentially compare Scott Snyder to uh, the prettiest girl in the bar. So, <laughs> if you uh, if you want to, that should be a good of a tease. And if you're interested, you should definitely go check it out on the site. All right, so check out all those reviews and editorials on the website, and we will have obviously more in the coming weeks as more books are being reviewed. With that, we're going to get into our spotlights. Uh, specifically, what I wanted to talk about, which was a month ago when we released the first episode with the TBU spotlight, I told everybody. Let us know your thoughts, whether you like it, whether you don't like it, whether you want to see us do the TBU Spotlight. And we had feedback. We did have a decent amount of feedback. And again, thank you for all the feedback. Uh, we will be doing TBU Spotlight. What we have determined is that we are going to be doing TBU Spotlight once a month for the entire other, the entire amount of the books that came out in that month. So for example, the next episode, we will have TBU Spotlight which will feature all of the other Bat books or books that Batman appeared in, um, and we'll discuss, we'll pick our favorite from the month instead of doing it every two weeks. Um, that way you have an entire month's worth to choose from, so you get the very best of the group of books from that month. But that leaves a little bit of time for the first episode of the month, 
mean meaning this episode. So we also heard from a number of listeners who also stated that they wanted to have us bring back listener Q and A's. So I thought, why not we do listener Q and A's the first episode of the month, and we do TBU Spotlight the second episode of the month. So that's what we're going to do. So that being said, what we're going to do is this episode we're going to talk because the last episode we did read through all of the comments from uh, the le- the previous episode that it posted. Um, this episode we're going to talk episode 147 comments and comments that you've left. And basically what we're going to do is when episode 149 comes around the begin- in the middle of December, we will then talk about comments that you leave on this episode and next week's or the next episode of the, the comic podcast. So two episodes worth of comments we'll talk about. So that doesn't mean don't leave comments for one episode because we're only going to talk about one set of episodes comments. We're going to talk about a month's worth of comments in one episode. Um, so it'll be the, the first episode of the month will be listener Q and A's and the second episode of the month will have TV spotlight. That way you get exactly what you both what everybody was asking for, listener Q&As and TV Spotlight without making, kind of evening the podcast out where we're not doing both in each episode. They can so, have their cake and eat it too. Yes, they can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. So we do have some listener Q&As. Uh, first off, thank you for everyone who left comments on episode 147. Uh, we're going to roll through some of these. First one's from Ryan. He says, another great episode. I'm happy to hear people are in favor of the spotlight. I had not, but we'll be picking up Catwoman because of your recommendations. Arkham Manor-wise, I could actually see that as the new status quo, especially with Batman moving his base to the penthouse. Time will tell. A question. Batman Eternal deals with the city breaking down because of a big bad guy enacting a big bad plan. But do you remember if a Batbook ever took on the ideas of institutional problems with society on such an epic scale? Has Batman ever faced big social problems that commonly affect urban life, education, poverty, hunger, political corruption? On a broader level, do you think comic books or the Bat books in particular are places to deal with the bigger social issues beyond the epic supervillain stories as in Batman or the epic personal stories as in Batman and Robin? Thank you for all your hard work. If there, if others want to chime in on this question too, I'd love to hear from what you guys have to have to say. So, um, well, the one that immediately pops to my mind is probably the one that I go to the most, Batman No Man's Land. Um, there's the, the city does have a huge, the city does break down similar to what we're seeing, you know, not on the same scale, but happening in Batman Eternal. Batman is dealing with, you know, people in poverty and people who are going hungry. And there is political corruption. There's a lot of political corruption in that story. Bruce Wayne actually has to go to... Congress, the U.S. Congress, and basically say, help, help my city out because no, nothing's really happening. And it turns out that the, one of the few people who steps up to help is Lex Luthor, but it's for nefarious reasons. Of course. Um, so, um, that's the one that I, that, that immediately jumps at my mind. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on other stories? Batman Year 100 by Paul Pope is a very much Big Brother is Watching type story. Mm. deals with yeah. you know the government and spying and you know personal freedom um so if, if i think that that's probably the one that sticks out the most in my mind of and, and that one is that they don't even try to hide it i mean it's in your face so that would be the, the one i would think of and i think you know more recently Batgirl 35 um because the riot black character he is 
he's a terrible person. But I very much believe, and, and I even talked with the creators on this, that it is a social commentary. Just all of these leaked photos that have been happening of celebrities and, and not only the photos that are leaking, but the people that are actually clicking on and like seeing them, you know, just invasion of privacy and how social media, how destructive it can be uh, if used incorrectly. And I think we're really getting into this terrible age of technology right now. Um, I, I think that that it, it's just done really well. And, and all of the negativity I think surrounding social media is uh, embodied in that riot black character. This happens a lot, but to your other question of whether you think books should deal with these social issues. I think it's actually a perfect place. I mean, you look at, you know, literature in general, and literature in general is a, a reflection of the society normally. And in today's world, comic books are a big part of the literature that that exists. So I think that if there is a place to deal with social issues, I think comic books are a great place, especially since there's a new issue coming out every month. So even if the story is being planned five months in advance before it comes out, the writer is writing it up and the artist has got a, uh, you know, a month or two to draw it or whatever, and it's being planned months in advance, I think it's a perfect place because in some ways it's probably easier and quicker to get out a comic book related to social issues more so than it is to get a, an entire book written about something that's, that's mm-hmm. happening. So in 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 some ways comics are probably one of the 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 easiest ways to get something out there without it being just a magazine or you know a news article in the newspaper or something like that dealing with social issues. Mm-hmm. So I think comic books are a place to do it and it makes people more aware of things. You know, yeah, if you're not aware of the stuff that's going on in the world, you know, and you live under a rock, that's that's your prerogative. But for those of us who keep up to date with the news and things like that. And then we see stuff like the stuff that happens in the comics. It's really interesting actually. It's, it's to see how the comics in not, not all, but some comics reflect the way society is. And in some ways that's really interesting. Not everybody's going to get that, but for those of us who do, it, it makes sense. And, and it's a nice parallel. Yeah. I, I like when, you know, this was something we talked about last month, funny enough, when the, when the first episode of, uh, of Detective last month, the first part of this terminal series, and we talked about the, the, is, do we like our stuff to be rooted in reality more than, than the comic book world? Um, I think this is kind of falls under the same thing. I think that I like good doses of social journalism and politics in the comics, but I don't ever want it to become the deafening voice that it's every month. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that if it was constant and in your face, it would become over the top sometimes. But I think that sprinkling it in and having certain arcs and stories that focus on it is necessary to keep comics relevant. I mean, you, if, if they just become like a tired old retread of Joker versus Batman with, with no underlying context, then they would lose some of their meaning. All right. So the next comment we have comes from Avery. They say, I always have a great time listening to you guys and gal. Keep it up. Ryan, I feel like I've seen bat books address social issues before, but for some reason I can't think of very many. The only book that comes to mind immediately is Batman Venom, which kind of focuses on Bruce wrestling with the addiction to Venom. It's one of my favorites. Check it out. TBU, my question is, when it comes to reading comics monthly, I buy the individual issues. However, when it comes to keeping them for the long term, I'd rather collect the trades. Is there a secret method for doing both without spending twice the money 
or is the only option to try and sell the individual's books, individual books back. Thanks a lot. Well, this Funny is, you uh, mention it. <laughs> yeah, here, here's the thing. Okay. I have never really been a trade person ever. Um, but I've always been single issues and what I do with the single issues is long-term, uh, value and like a value collection investment type thing. I have always been about the single issues. Um, that being said, what I tend to do is I buy my books monthly in print. I bag and board them and then they go into boxes. And as long as the boxes, well, I mean, mine box, my boxes are, but as long as your boxes are in a climate controlled area, you don't really, you really shouldn't have any real issues. Um, you shouldn't ever stick them in your attic or your basement that isn't climate controlled or your crawl space or someplace like that because that would be bad for them. Um, but <laughs> realistically, realistically, there really isn't a, I mean, if you, if you are the type of person who reads, who wants to read the single issues right away and then you want to, you know, get the trades when the trades come out, Yes, I, kn- I know trades do look prettier on a bookshelf more so than a stack of comics um, or, you know, a bunch of bagged and board comics that are sideways. That you can't even tell what they are without pulling them out. The one suggestion that I guess I would have, and the, it, it really depends on how soon you want to read your comics. Um, digital copies of comics, when it comes to the stuff that Comixology releases um, that come out the same day as the print issues... Those are normally the same exact price as what you would pay if you were buying the physical issue. But if you wait one month until after they're out, they normally drop a dollar. So they're about, you know, if they're normally a $3 book, they go down to $2. So you're saving a little bit of money by waiting the extra month before they actually release. Um, If you want to wait a really long time, digital comics tend to go down in price uh, further but it, they, they tend to have 99 cent sales and things like that. So you can get digital copies then so you can read them. But as far as saving money, there's not really a secret of saving money if you want to have both. Well, I can tell everybody this, that if you've been following what's going on with Amazon and Comixology, I think that after this contract is up, then they're no longer going to cost the same amount as print copies. I think Amazon is pushing, since they bought Comixology, they're pushing very hard to get the price of digital issues lowered significantly. Uh, so this could become null in the future. Um, for me, it's I don't buy a lot of comics monthly anymore. Um, I've gone to more trades now. I, I only buy basically what we do on the comic cast. Uh, and then everything, like I, I read like World's Finest and Green Lanterns and all Green Arrow and Justice League and all that I read, I mean, mostly in trade now. For me, it is, like Dustin said, it's... It's easy to put your long boxes up, things like that, but trades are, they present better and you have bookcases and if you want to read something again or look at something, it's easy to grab it, flip to it and, and see what you want. Uh, but as far as if there's a magic way to get them both, uh, cheaper, I really, you know, you're screwed. So, <laughs> sorry. It's the, co- it's the, co- it's the publishing company double dipping. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. Yeah, I don't really have too much to add. I do both, um, I don't really collect stories that I'm reading single issues, except for Batgirl. I did that. Um, 
with the, the Brian Q. Miller Batgirl. I, uh, there are some books that I just read in trade. So like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I'm only collecting that in trade and reading it along, but all the others I'm doing single issues and then stories, you know, separate stories I collect in, uh, trade. But there are just, you know, I collect the single issues and then there comes a time when I'm just like ready to get rid of some of them that I think, well, I don't think I'm ever going to read through this again. So it's usually like a huge bundle. If I've been reading, uh, like Supergirl, I think was the last thing that I sold online. And so I stopped maybe issue 27 or something. So I put on the whole lot and I think lots just sell better, uh, on eBay if that's what you're going to do. So, um, I generally do about a dollar or so and, and it goes up pretty high if, if you've got a, 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 a large run on your item. Yeah, that's the thing. If you're gonna, if you wanna sell them back, the best place to do it is going to be eBay, um, selling single issues. But like Stella said, the runs are the best way to do it. The only other option that I can see that just as a suggestion is you could always consider paring down what you're collecting, um, Think of it like this. If you're going to collect stuff in trades, are you actually collecting everything in trades or are you just collecting certain stories in trades? Are you only collecting Batman and Detective Comics in trade? Are you actually getting all of the the books that you know you read in trade form? Probably not as likely. In some ways, you have to look at the single issues and if you're not buying everything and you're not a completist, then you have, then you're, you're reading the single issues to get an idea of whether or not buying a trade would be good. Ed has said multiple times that Scott Snyder stuff is, is better reading when it's in trade form rather than reading it in single issues. And I would agree. But at the same time, you have to know that there's plenty of stuff out there that you're probably never going to buy in trade, but you want to know what's going on. Probably some of the lesser, you know, important stories that have lesser ramifications throughout the, the universe, but they have events that are happening that affect certain characters that you'd want to, you want to know about. So that's the only suggestions I have for that. The next one also comes from Avery. It says, sorry for the double post, but I just heard DC's convergence and was curious what you all make of it. Some event pre new 52 still happen, but don't actually affect the current timelines at all. I'm one of those comic fans that just kind of picks and chooses stories to be in my own personal continuity, but I was just wondering what you all thought about this. And Shipper Stella, your favorite Shipper special looks like it's getting another chance, or is it? Can't wait to hear your thoughts. Well, hopefully you, hopefully we answered your questions when we talked about Convergence earlier. Um, but basically, I wouldn't look at it like the New 52 stuff still happen but doesn't affect the current timelines. I look at it as like what we said earlier where it's two separate universes. They're just taking place at different times. Um or not times, but it's like it's it's two timelines and we just ha- don't haven't seen anything happen with that new pre new 52 universe since the new 52 began. All right, next one comes from Corbin. He says, I really enjoyed listening to the spotlight reviews. If there's something good, it deserves a shout out. I really enjoyed the two part story terminal. The best part in my mind was Dick Grayson's portrayal. I know it was very different from how he is pretty much everywhere else, but I really think he was fully formed into the spy role. He was extremely capable. And now I want to see what this creative team could do with Dick. Do you guys feel the same or do you prefer the Grayson we are getting elsewhere? Well, we talked about this when we reviewed, 
Detective Comics, so hopefully we answer your question when it comes to that. Um, I do think one of the things I don't think we talked about was we kind of not directly talked about it, but when we talked about the fact that, you know, Dick is at this point where he has no problem torturing, he's not getting queasy, and we, we talked about this, I feel like this is taking place not in the same timeline as what's happening in Grayson. He is a little bit more embedded within Spiral. He is, you know, he's going out on missions by himself, things like that, where he is more of a full-fledged spy. And I think it makes more sense for it to be that way, for him to be the character who has no problem just instantaneously torturing somebody to get information, more so than what we've seen him, you know, doing acrobats around a school and having a bunch of girls chase him with yeah. his shirt on. <laughs> that was my spotlight. Do you think that this prove? do you think this is almost proving the fact that futures and that timeline could happen for, for Grayson anyways? Cause it seems like that would be the type of guy. I mean, in all entirely, I think it, it's entirely possible that he could, you know, he, he could end up being that person, but there's plenty of characters within what, with what happened with Future Zen that we could sit there and say, you know, do we actually believe that this is what it could end up being? And I think there's a lot of different characters that the path that they're currently on points to that, that that's is how things will be. And then there's other characters where you're kind of like, okay, well, maybe, but, I'm not really seeing how you're going to get from point A to point B at this point. Grayson seems like he could get to that point, especially with if you're just looking at Detective Comics and how he's portrayed in this last issue. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you look at the portrayal in this last issue, you could argue that he is almost at that point now. I mean, he's ob- he's obviously much more comfortable with things that the character even a year ago before the events of Forever Evil. I mean, think about and again, it's not that I hated the story or hated the portrayal, but a year ago, if you had saw Dick Grayson torturing someone like that, you would have been like, what the hell? You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. and now we're like, eh, well, he's just, you know, he's just, just this guy, you know? So I think he is already moving into that type of character. I mean, just by the way the three of us were so easy to able to go, well, you know, he's torturing people now, you know? Yeah. And, and I think it's perhaps a symptom of, of being just under such pressure and, and deep undercover. And even in this latest issue of Grayson, you see that, I mean, the main guy with the squirrely face is he's pretty suspicious about anything and, and always looking to, to see who potentially is betraying him. And it's a point that I brought up in the Gotham Chronicles discussion, just the fact that if you are so deep undercover, I think there's always going to be a part of somebody that almost starts to like change. I think it's just, you know, you're there. That is your life. You may start to see these people in a different light. And, and I don't know, emotions just get really out of whack, I think, and not knowing which way, which way to go. And, and perhaps if this is in a different timeline, then, I mean, Dick has been undercover for a long time and it's hard to play act. And at some point it's going to be for real. It's not going to be acting. And so th- this could just be him like really taking over that side and having less of a, a Dick Grayson Batman sort of uh, character. I tell you what I, I'll be curious then is when inevitably everybody finds out he's not dead, which is going to occur at some point. I mean, it's, yeah. it's going to happen. I mean, I'm going to be curious that discussion he has with, with Barbara when he, because I think that someone will do the storyline of 
Dick Grayson's redemption in the I think that's probably where this is headed. And I think it'd be interesting to hear him, you know, talk to Babs in the future and have to like kind of confess his sins and what the other members of the Bat family will think that of what Dick's become. Maybe we're looking towards uh I remember when we talked about Scott Snyder's Reddit that he did uh last episode, we talked about the fact that he did state that Dick has there's the intent is for Dick to be a spy you know, up until at least next summer. And I'm wondering if maybe we will see some major storyline featuring, like you said, Dick Grayson and his redemption come next year since it is the 75th anniversary of, of Dick Grayson next year too. So. Oh uh, yeah, I didn't think about that. I'm wondering if maybe the idea is that we're going with this spiral thing for the time being. I don't know that he'll necessarily just go directly go back to being Nightwing. I mean, with the events of Forever Evil, it's unlikely. But I feel like there could be something that could be done, especially if there's, I mean, maybe even in the pages of Batman and Robin, something happens where Tomasi tells another big story, but it doesn't start until, you know, June or July when after the whole two month hiatus that all the other books go on. Now, this is semi off track, but does, do we think that Batman and Robin happens after Eternal? Is that what we're thinking? Yes. Okay. Because it's at least for now. Yeah, because it is getting a little muddled. At right this now. point, it feels like it has to happen after Endgame, because Damien's not even appearing in Endgame. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking too. So it's, it's Eternal, Endgame, and then the Batman and Robin storyline currently going on now, unless Damien shows up in the next issue or so. Some point, somebody will have to ask Tomasi that question. Tomasi and Snyder, while they're in the same room at the same table, say, "So, which story? Uh, tell us where these stories take place." And see what they say. Because I, I assume they've had conversations together. I mean, Snyder has said multiple times that the writers that are working on the Bat books, you know, they all communicate with each other. I assume that still happens. So, I don't know. All right. So, the last comment comes from Daniel. He says, keep up the great work with these podcasts. The Spotlight Reviews are a great way to give more coverage to TVU Comics. I enjoy the longer length podcast because they help me get up to date with Batman when I can't read all the books. So, again, thank you to everybody who sent in comments. I will say, the last episode, I was thrilled with the idea that we had as many comments as we did. I implored you all to then go to iTunes and leave reviews. And I happened to check iTunes before we recorded today, and I noticed that we have not had an iTunes review since May of 2014. So, please, leave us reviews on iTunes. I'm (laughs) sure a lot of you who are vocal and leaving comments on the podcast feed are probably have maybe already left comments and maybe that's why or left your reviews on iTunes and that's why you're not doing it. But those of you who are newer to the podcast or newer to leaving comments, I strongly suggest you go over to iTunes and leave those reviews. Those only help the podcast become better by branching out and getting more listeners. All right. So with that, that is everything for this episode. Uh, the current call out that I'm going to make for people we are looking for. Still looking for news reporters, specifically news reporters for movie, TV, video game, merchandise, and general Batman items. We have someone covering comic news, and I have pretty much almost every single book that needs to be covered covered at this point um, that could change, but for now we have all of the books being reviewed on the website. Thank you to all of you who are not only reviewing books, but have answered the call and are going to be reviewing books in the future. Um, the other thing that I'm just going to briefly mention, if there is anybody who is 
remotely interested in Bat Books for Beginners, I suggest that you get in contact with me because I have been made aware that uh, Bat Books for Beginners, John will be leaving Bat Books for Beginners no. as of December. And with that, that is pretty much going to be the end of Bat Books for Beginners unless somebody else picks it back up. So there's still a long strew of stories to cover. Um, if you have any ideas of how to cover it, or if you're interested in covering it, this would be you producing the episodes, editing the episodes, getting everything ready for the episodes. It would basically be your new podcast baby on the Batman universe. Let me know if you are interested, and we will try to see if it is something that is feasible for you to take over. With also, one of the other things I'm currently looking for is I'm looking for someone to be our social media person. This means you would be the person who is in charge of posting our news articles on Twitter, on Facebook, on our Facebook group, and engaging conversations on our Facebook group. This would be the whole idea behind this is to get people to be more interactive with us because I am horrible about it. <laughs> so if I went to Starbucks, I could be like, the TBU just got a PSL. <laughs> What the hell is a, P- a PSL? A pumpkin spice latte, man. Oh. Get with the time, son. Jeez, I, I, I thought you meant like preferred seat license for like a football team. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? What the hell are you buying no, no, tickets no. at Starbucks for? <sighs> I lost you at the word Starbucks. Um, <laughs> you call no, yourselves but, Americans. Uh, I, don't get me started. All right, so my point is I'm horrible about, you know, I'm great about, you know, retweeting stuff. On Twitter, I do follow Twitter throughout the day, but I'm horrible about interacting with fans on Twitter, mostly because because I'm so horrible, we don't really have a lot of fans who interact with us. And I love to build a little bit more of a fan base when it comes to Twitter and Facebook. Our Facebook group has exploded with members, but I feel like, again, I don't have necessarily the time to engage with all of our listeners and readers and fans of the website on the Facebook group, and I don't—I barely have enough time to share half the stuff that gets posted up on the website. So we're looking for someone to take that over and basically be our social media person for TBU. Um, that me, basically what that would entail is you keeping up to date with stuff that's happening on the website, you following a number of different things that are involved with it, and then you would be posting from. Uh, or as us on all of those, all of those, uh, social media networks. Um, and if you are, if you want to go way above and beyond, I, you know, Instagram has started to become something huge. Don't have an Instagram account. Let's never not really, get uh, crazy, Dustin. Hey, I'm just putting it out there. Okay. If somebody wants to go crazy with this social media job and they want to create a social media account, for or not create, I shouldn't say create. If you want to manage an Instagram account for TBU, by all means, we are we would be more than open to doing it because I know that Instagram is just yet another one of those sites that you can get a ton more fans engaged. You can engage with fans on. So I'll leave it at that. If anybody is interested, you can always head over to the website, go down to the bottom of the page, click on the banner that says "We want you for TBU." And it will give us our, it will give you our contact information to get in contact with us so that we can possibly get you linked up with these positions that we are currently looking to fill. 
That being said, be sure to check out all of our other podcasts we have over on the website. Be sure to check out all of the news and reviews and editorials that we have on the website. News reporting has been lacking as of late, but that is why we are looking for news reporters. So, again, if you are interested, email us. I cannot say it enough because the news reporting, I'm, we're doing great with reviews and editorials. We're sorely lacking on the news reporting at this point. All right, so uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and join our Facebook group, as well as follow us on YouTube as well. You can also leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And as always, be sure to leave your comments in the comments section below the podcast post over on the website. And we will be sure to get to those questions two episodes from now and every beginning of the, every first episode of the month going forward as our new layout was described earlier. So with that, that is everything. This is Dustin. This is Ed. And this is Stella. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. See you guys in two weeks. Mm-hmm.